We're going to look today in Acts chapter 2. We're going to look in verse 42 to 47. I'm going to read it for you this morning. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great verse and, and uh, or a great section of Scripture, and I just want to focus on a few little things for you right now. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor for all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but when I read scripture, I don't know, have you ever wondered how such a large group of diverse people get along. Have you ever wondered that? I mean, some, some of us have a hard enough time getting along with our families, right? We always have the, the one uncle or the brother or the cousin or something where it's difficult, right? You, you're going, I don't want to say anything right now. You're afraid. Maybe it's the person sitting next. No, I'm kidding. But there's such a diverse group of people that they all get along. Now, when we say get along, do we actually mean get along like they never argue? No, that's not what we mean. But how do they get anything accomplished? Too many personalities. If you've been in any type of team or any type of group, you always know that when you're with a group of people, everyone has their opinions, and it's difficult to get along, right? Because we all have, we've all been brought up differently. We all have different values. Um, I mean, hopefully our core values are, of Christianity are similar, but, but we have different things that we like to do. And it's the same as traditions and, and all these things that we find important in our lives. And if somebody questions that, if somebody puts up a barrier to our value or our perception of how things should be, what happens? We get defensive. And then when we get defensive... It's very difficult to get along. It's very difficult to move forward. It's very difficult to do anything to make the future kind of happen if you've got plans. Any plans are kind of very difficult. Have you ever been on a road trip with family? How many people need to stop every so many minutes after I've just passed everybody I possibly could? How many people have gone on a trip and they want to stay here or they don't want to do that or they need to eat? It's just... They have these things, these personality traits. We all have it. We all have differences. And that's what makes it us unique, but it also makes us maybe sometimes a little more difficult to get along with if we hold those things super tight. And it's important to hold some values super tight, but also there are some things where it's kind of like, well, that's more of a preference. And in Acts chapter 2, these verses that we're talking about here, gives us a glimpse of a community where people from different backgrounds and cultures shared in a common faith and a common purpose. If you have a common faith and a common purpose, that's a good start because we know, where we, we know what we want to do and we know where we want to go. The issue comes in on is how do we get there? And we've all had that problem. Well, my, I think we should do this. Well, I think we should do that. Well, I think we should do that. Like, it goes on and on. And we constantly battle which way. I've come to the point in my life where there are things where I don't care how. I don't care how. I just want to get 
there. Some people like to take the long road, the long, windy, drag this thing out forever. Some people like that. Other people are straight and direct and want to get to the point. I used to enjoy road trips. I prefer flying now. As I get older, I realize I don't have much time left. I don't want to waste it sitting in a car. I'm kidding. But the point is, I prefer to get there quicker. And if they get a jet that will get me to Europe in an hour, I will be the first person on that plane. I don't want to take 12 hours to get there. My life is worth more than that. But that's my personality. Let's get there. Are there flaws in that? Yeah, there are. Because sometimes I'm already at the end result while everyone else is trying to get to somewhere at the beginning. That's something I navigate. I have to navigate that myself. So I have to be aware of it, self-awareness. And it's difficult. In times of stress, my instant reaction is just get it done. In normal times, I'm a little more patient. But we need to realize that everyone is different. And we see that in the scripture that they did incredible things because they were a Christ-centered community in the world around them. The early church's devotion to teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer resulted in incredible growth, both in numbers and in favor. Favor with the people around them. Favor with their community because they reached out and they were impacting those around them. So out of this, these verses, there's just a few points, and I beat up on this many of these points, but then I want to get into talking about something, else, something that's related that we can navigate through. But how, how do we do this? How do we impact a world for Jesus Christ through our Christ-centered community living? We do it first by living out the gospel, and you know this. You've got to live it out. Can't just say it. Well, that's part of it, but you gotta live it out. Verse 42 highlights the importance of being devoted to the teaching, which is at the center. The, the, the apostles' teaching was at the center of the gospel message or the good news of Jesus Christ. And in our world today, I, I don't know if we are passionate enough about that good news. It's, it, it's, it's tough because there's stressors in life. There's a lot going on, multiple things. You're bombarded by this silly thing with all sorts of ads and whatever. There's computers that are smarter than us, my friends, and they are telling you what to look at through an algorithm. It's just fact. I'm not a conspiracy person, but if I talk about cat food, and I don't own a cat. Cat food's coming up later today, and I promise you that. They're always listening. It happens. Trust me. I've done it. I've done it. And now I'm in real big trouble. But this, this is a thing. It, it is part of it. If you look up anything, you will be, it'll, it'll come up. And, and it pushes you in directions without you even knowing. Well, I would rather be in Scripture and be pushed in that direction, then be pushed and forced into a direction of endless nonsense. Now again, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of these conspiracy people where I think the internet's bad. It's like, ah, uh, boycott. Be aware 
Be aware. Don't follow down the rabbit holes of crazy, okay? Because it's out there. They're all over. But if we base ourselves by living out the gospel message and we apply the words truth as a priority to our lives, we will make a difference. They're saying that the amount of time we waste on computers and personal devices and the internet and TikToks, and if you don't know what those are, good, don't ever worry about it. But this constant stuff bombarding us. If you can't sift it through, and if you don't have a base value, which is in Jesus Christ, which is in Scripture, then you will go off the rails. Because there's some, there's some pretty real-looking, almost factual but not quite stuff on there. And if you're not careful, you will be taken down a path that is not Christ-like. We forget that we are to emulate the life of Jesus Christ, not of our political views, which you can have political views, have them all you want, have them all day long, but that's not the base of our Christianity. It's not political views, other, any views. It doesn't, it's, it's all about Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only view we should be focused on. Yes, we need to fight for justice. Yes, we need to fight for those that are hurting, those that are suffering, those that are, that are left behind. Yes, and we will, and we do. But there are times when we have to be very careful how we navigate this, how we navigate, especially in our world today, very, very careful. Without losing our values, without losing um, that fight for justice, but at the same time expressing ourselves in love. And love doesn't always mean we agree with everyone out there, but it does make a difference on how we respond how we act. So living out that gospel makes a big difference. So how do we do that? Well, we do it, we, we live out the gospel by, first of all, regularly filling our minds with the word. How many first thing in the morning reach for your cell phone? You don't have to put your hand up. You reach for it. You open it up. I use it for an alarm, but that doesn't mean I don't go, well, Let's see what's happening in my emails today. And then I go down a rabbit hole. It can be bad. My suggestion is, is to read the Word of God first. And then, you know, if you need to do that stuff, go do that stuff, whatever. So we live it out by making a priority. And when we, if, if, we look, if I looked at any of your priorities, including myself, and found out what you did on a routine basis I would know what your main priorities and values were by what you put in place before other things. And you don't realize it, but we all do it. We put things in place of our relationship with God, in place of going to the Word. But we apply God's Word practically in our daily lives because we're in the Word. When we're in the Word, we're able to apply it daily. When we're thinking of something... How many... Okay. How many have bought a car in the past 30 years? Okay, listen. Put up your hand if you bought a car. Okay. If I decide that I'm looking at a Jeep Renegade, guess how many Jeep Renegades I see every day? Every day. I see them everywhere. Doesn't matter what car you want to buy or you like, if you're thinking about it, you will see it everywhere. Everywhere. It's the same with our personal devotions. 
If we are not in the Word of God, whatever we were thinking on instead of that, we will see regularly. So it's the same mind thing as if we're a negative person and we will constantly see negative things. If we're a more positive person, we'll see more positive things. If we're in God's Word, we will see more ways that God is doing things and apply that in our lives when we're in His Word. But when we're not, have you ever felt like it's like God's just not speaking to me? Well, are you in His Word? Are you regularly filling your mind with that? So we have to put a priority on that. And then when, when, when we're practically doing that daily because we're in his word, we are going to see opportunities and we're going to share our faith in ways that might be different than it used to be. But So we're going to show it and share our faith not only by words but also by actions and how we are because we're constantly in his word. These are practical expressions and outcomes of being in his word. And so we impact our world for Christ with a Christ-centered view and community by living out the gospel, by being in his word. The second way is we do it by demonstrating love and unity. Verses 44 and 45, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave it to anyone in need. They displayed this. This love and this unity by their actions. This sense of togetherness and caring for one another drew attention to those who were outside of their community. Those who weren't even, weren't even a part of it. They saw a difference. When we demonstrate this, this type of example, this type of love and this type of unity, it will attract others to the gospel message. So how do we do that? Well, we do it um, by expressing a spirit of grace and forgiveness um, and showing the people within our influence, within our sphere of influence, that Christ's love can, can overcome division. We've gone through quite a few years of division within the body of Christ, within the church realm. Lost division in there uh, for reasons, well, you know, pick one. That doesn't look good. Because if somebody looks in at your life, at your church, and there's division, and there's fighting, and there's nobody's getting along, and it's just a negative thing, that's not the example that Christ wants us to set. It doesn't mean we all agree on everything, but it does mean that we're, we're, we're showing those out there that we can get along, we can love each other, we can... We do that. We demonstrate this by showing that spirit of grace and forgiveness. We, we engage in outreach, and many here are involved in food banks and our lunch program downstairs for the kids. We, we're in the community. We, we just finished doing, in a, a few months ago, Cowboy Church. Um, I, as you know, I'm a, I'm a, a massive cowboy, um, and uh, <laughs> I'm not a cowboy, but it was an opportunity and we were able to provide something in a time of need to the community. There's multiple things we can do in our community on a regular basis, and, and, and you're involved. You do do them. But that shows a side of Jesus Christ to those that need to see it. And so you're doing it by example. You're demonstrating that love and that unity. The third uh, way that we can impact the world by showing this, is by showing genuine joy and gratitude. 
verse, verses 46 and 47, it, it talks about the early Christians, how they gathered joyfully, praising God and expressing gratitude for all he had done. You know, I didn't really understand what gratitude was um, and how it was something that I needed to be when I, until I was a kid. And, and we, were, we used to stand, this is why I'm a big fan of feeding kids and the food bank and our lunch program, because I used to stand in a lineup um, for food with my mother to get food at the food bank. And, um, you know, when you first get that box of food, um, you sure do get a lot of kidney beans. I think people just think that's all poor people eat is kidney beans, to be honest with you. Um, but when we started supporting the food bank, I, I, I challenged you to, when you give to the food bank, don't give the stuff that's like you're trying to clear out of your pantry because it's not good enough for you. Like actually go to the store and buy some food, right? It's different that if you have good food in your pantry, that's fine. But, it, but if, if you don't, if you're like, well, these beans have been here since 1930, I might as well, you know, they'll stop. They'll still be good. The poor people can eat it. They should be thankful, right? We, we have that, we had that mindset and, and that's why I challenge you, buy the good stuff. Buy the good stuff. It doesn't mean... <laughs> I'm not knocking Western family or anything. Let's not get into brands here. But if it's good, if it's new, if it's fresh, if it's you know, not out of date and it's edible, then, then give it to the food bank. And we do that. And that's one thing that I, I was grateful for, even for that horrible can of kidney beans, because we didn't have anything. To this day, I despise those things. Um, it's PTSD. It's got to be. When I see a can of kidney beans, I'm like, just omit that from any recipe. Don't even bother. Just that whole section in the, in the grocery store. Yeah, no chili. Can't have it. So we, we do that by, by pouring into others, by, by showing gratitude for what we have, and by sharing that. Um, we talk a lot about joy. So I mentioned joy and gratitude. It's the third. Next slide. So joy and gratitude are different. Um, joy is something that we talk about in the church. We talk about it a lot. Everybody says, oh, you've got to have joy. That, and, and a lot of people think joy is this mindset of walking around looking like a crazy person, smiling all the time. We do. We think, well, you're not joyous. You look miserable. Well, that doesn't mean you're not joyful inside. That can be an expression, being smiling. Like smiling, some people have a resting face of miserableness. <laughs> I had to be careful how I worded that. <laughs> I get myself in trouble here today. But that doesn't mean the inside are not joyful. And so we need to understand the difference between what a biblical joy is and walking around looking like a clown and a crazy person. Uh, biblical joy is this deep, lasting um, happiness that comes from knowing and trusting God. Now, it's not, and again, happiness is. Difficult, but it goes beyond temporary feelings. You could not be happy right now, but still have joy. Um, it goes beyond these temporary feelings of pleasure. It's rooted in, in our relationship with who God is, who He is. What, what Scripture, because we've been in our Scripture, is how, how, how we know who He is. And it's not dependent on our external circumstances. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. A lot of times I'll say on a Sunday morning, you know, 
Forget everything that's going on around you. Forget everything who's beside you. Forget what you did this week and what's going to happen next week and what's happening this afternoon. It doesn't matter about our external circumstances, but it is a result of us having that faith and hope in God's goodness and in what he has promised, his, his example of what he has promised. And, and that joy can be expressed in so many diff, different ways. It can be expressed in contentment. It can be expressed in generosity. It can be expressed in thankfulness through worship and through praise. It can be expressed through servant ministry, like helping out with the lunch program or the food bank or the youth group or the kids' ministries or any of the things that we do or, or community events. It can be expressed in that way. But biblical joy brings a peace, the sense of peace and commitment and sorry, contentment and gratitude because of who God is. It's a gift from God. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And it is a source and an encouragement as we walk this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. It, it, it's, biblical joy is infectious. Uh, it can draw those to others to us so they can see who Jesus Christ is. It brings out who, who the source of hope is. So how do we walk in joy through difficult situations? How, do you, how, do you, how can we say we have joy when we're going through hell? How? And there's different levels, and everybody has their different, different experiences of what's going on in their lives. But, but when we cultivate a heart of gratitude, we give thanks in all circumstances and openly praise God for his goodness. That's when we are expressing joy or walking in joy. Sometimes we have to practice this art of joy even when we don't feel like it. I think we've gotten into this, this mindset of where if I, and you're not trying to hide your feelings, it's not that, but there are times when we need to practice what we want to be. If we want to be more joyful, we need to do things and express ourselves joyfully. We need to practice the art of that. If we want to be more loving, we need to practice the art of loving, even when we may not feel that way that time. If you want to be kinder, you have to be, and it's a genuine practice of wanting to be better, even when we don't feel like it. And we look at that and we go, oh, that's labeled as fake. Well, if you're struggling with expressing that or you're struggling with being that type of person, how will you ever get there if you don't practice that? This is why we come to church. This is why we pray. This is why we worship. We're doing disciplines. And there are days you don't feel like worshiping. There are days you don't feel like lifting your hands or clapping or even being in church. But we do it because it's practice for what we want to be. But it's not fake. So, you've heard me use these illustrations before, but Steve Nash, old basketball player now, thousand free throws every day. He practiced to be the greatest basketball player. That's what he did. And he became amazing. But he wasn't at the beginning. 
Sidney Crosby. You know, pick a sports person who's famous. Pick one, whatever. They practiced when they weren't good at it, when they weren't that thing they wanted to be. And then they became it because of the practice. If you don't implement things in your lives on a regular basis, daily, you won't become that. If you say, oh, it'd be really nice one day to be this or to look like that or to have this character trait that's a positive thing, but you never do it, you will never get there. There's no magic wand. Now you are a Christian and you are lovely now. Mmm, no. Oh, you're forgiving now. Nope. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit can't do that. What I am saying is, in my experience, I got to practice it. I got to keep doing it. It doesn't mean we're denying our emotions. It doesn't mean that. We're not suppressing them. It's not about pretending that everything is okay when it's not. Instead, it's acknowledging our difficulties while choosing to find hope and joy despite our circumstances. That is tough. You want an assignment? There it is. Despite your circumstances, practice joy. Hope in God. As for the consequences of practicing joy, the consequences are this. It can lead to more positive and a more hopeful outlook on life. So that when the time comes for more difficulties, we're prepared, we're ready. It's like a reactionary thing. It's something we do. On a, we, we practice it. When I'm training as a fireman or training young firemen, I'm now the old guy. So when I'm training the young ones, we drill. We drill. Disciplines. Practices. I continue to put them through. Different drills to make sure. Because chances are they're not going to have a problem. Chances are we're pretty safe. Nothing bad's going to happen. But what if it does? What if it does happen? I need them to be ready right now at the moment's notice to grab whatever on their body and make sure they have air and they have to know it like this. Eyes closed, noise going on, totally you know, turned around in a room full of smoke and fire. You, you, they have to be ready. So how do you do it? You put them in that environment. And you train them, train them, train them. Before they even get into a practice of that environment, you train them on all their gear. It seems silly, but they put their gear on and off and on and off. Because if you've ever been in an 800-degree room, if you have any skin showing, you will get burnt. It'll find its way. It always does. So you want to protect them. If they get in a collapse, they need to know what to do, how to do it. So we drill them and we practice. It's the same in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We practice disciplines by praying, by reading his word, by expressing ourselves and living joy, joyously when we don't necessarily want to. I know when the recruits don't want to do the drill because they start slacking. We slack in our relationship with Jesus. They start dragging their feet. They start going slower. 
They don't get everything on properly, fully zipped up, fully covered. They forget to put their regulator on and walk into a smoky building. They start doing silly things. It's the same thing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. When you stop practicing disciplines, you'll do something silly that may burn you. And then you go, why did that happen? What do we do as Christians? Why, God? Why did you punish me? Why did you do that to me? Well, you think a recruit's going to say to me, why did you burn me? No, they're not. They know it's their fault. They know they did that wrong because they didn't do the disciplines. I'm telling you this today because I really want to dig in that when, when it's a quick reaction, when it's that default reaction that you go to God in prayer, that you express yourself in joy, that's because of years of practice. That's because of years of thinking of who God is and that he deserves all that glory, even when I don't feel like it. And so I really hope today that you see that the joy inside is, is a hope. It's, it's an expectation because of who God is, not because of our circumstances. We wonder why bad things happen to us. Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm pretty sure Jesus said something on the cross. He didn't want it. At that point, he expressed himself fully human, fully God, knowing more than we could ever imagine. And he went through all of that. And we think we're going to just skip through. The prosperity gospel in the States is garbage. And up here, it's not. It's not. It's not a thing. Forget it. It is a thing, but it's not a thing. It's not going to work. And we've talked about this before. If, if your theology doesn't work in the poorest countries with a single mother walking 500 miles for water each way, then it doesn't work. It's not a theology. It's not Christ-based. When our view of God is skewed because of our circumstances, we get into trouble. When we realize who God is despite our circumstances, then we're doing something. Then we're moving forward. And so when we practice this biblical joy, we will see a transformation in our mindset and in our perspective. Constantly practicing joy can lead to a more positive outlook, regardless of what we're facing. And choosing to practice biblical joy can deepen our reliance on God and increase our faith in Him. When you put your trust in Him, you will see amazing things happen. But if you're not in His Word, you won't see them. doesn't mean He's not doing things, but you won't see them. And then you go, why isn't He doing what I need Him to do? Because you're not focusing on Him, you're focusing on your circumstances. You know, we, we've talked about the book of Job many times. We've read it. Many of you have. Many of you took a study with uh, Pastor Paul's son, Mark Hawks, on the book of Job. And in the very first chapter of Job, he just gets pummeled with all sorts of difficulties. And in the very last verse, he basically says, you know what? God is God. That's what he says in the end. That couldn't have been someone who wasn't in a relationship with God because it sustained him throughout his entire journey. Yeah, he had some difficulties and some other things within there. But his very first reaction to his difficulties were get on his knees and he doesn't blame God. He's trying to figure out what's going on. 
but he does not blame God. Can we say that about our relationship with God? He would have had to have been in a relationship in order to come to that result quickly. It was his default. Are we there? Are you ready to lead a life that's stronger in your sense of peace and contentment in the midst of trials as, as you learn to anchor your heart on God's unchanging character and promises? I hope as a community of believers we have we recognize that we have an incredible opportunity to impact this world for Jesus Christ in our circle of influence and beyond because of how we live and because of how we act everywhere we go. And by living out our gospel, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, we are demonstrating love, we are demonstrating unity, and we are demonstrating a joy that is beyond comprehension for some that don't know Jesus. We can be an incredible witness in our community and in our circle of influences at work, at school, wherever you are. We can be that. So I want to challenge you to strive to be a community, Westwinds and wherever you are during the week, to be a community that reflects the love of Jesus Christ and that we draw others to his good news and to the salvation of him who sacrificed so much for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that when we're in your word, we, we gain a perspective from you that is difficult to get when we're not. Help us to practice biblical joy. Help us to practice biblical unity and love and gratitude. As we continue through our week, wherever we go, let that be a part of who we are. Let's be ready uh, to support those in need, to come alongside people, and express the love of Jesus Christ in our actions as well as in our words. Thank you for everything you're doing in our lives and what you are about to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you. I hope you have a great week. Remember, wherever you are, you do have influence, and sometimes you can say stuff. You can, you can show people the love of Jesus Christ by your actions, by your joy. Um, and we want to thank you for your service. So um, everyone is welcome to the barbecue out there. Uh, I know many people have done lots of things, and to count them and to say, you know, we're not going to turn anyone away. If you haven't done anything ever in the church, we're not turning you away from a meal. <laughs> <laughs> We're taking lists. We're making those. Um, we'd love to have you join us out there in the breezeway. God bless you. I hope you have a great weekend. We're going to see you next Sunday.